Santa Cruz, you got to be a cool guy if you're from Santa Cruz, right? Like no one ever goes, oh, this douchebag from Santa Cruz cut me <laughs> off while I was... It's, it doesn't exist, right? There's, oh, Do they yeah. just banish all the douchebags? Yeah. Don't they have, like, like the old-time dog catchers would have? Like, they just <laughs> come around in the van and hit the douchebags. Yeah. Like, the guys are wearing, like, the Ed Hardy T-shirts in their 50s. They're like, sorry. <laughs> you head over to Buellton or something. Go have some fucking split pea soup, douche. But we can't have you here. You're fucking our curve up. Yeah. Kevin, I mean, he really drives the ship in an amazing way on the show. And... You know, he is one of the guys that just brings not only, like, just funny, funny jokes, but a huge intelligence, and he just gets stuff done. Funny is good, and Kevin's funny, but bright, right. even even better. And the guy's just super high IQ. Exactly. Someone comes onto the school and... <laughs> and you've got Kevin. Now, I'm sure Kevin's shit hot at Call of Duty, but it might not fucking cut it, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Kevin, you might want to put on a gas mask around 7.45 a.m., you know what I'm saying? Welcome to installment three of the dipping my toe in the water before the actual launch of the Life of Riley podcast. Um, I am your host, Kevin Riley. Today I'm going to, I don't know, this might be a little risky. I'm not really sure. I'm going to talk a little bit about politics, but not in not not necessarily in such a way as to promote a uh, a specific party or mindset or even necessarily talk about who I support in this election year or anything like that, that can come later, uh, if at all. One of the funny things about me is I'm often heard saying how much I hate politics. And that's actually a true statement. But the funny thing is my producer, Wendy, loves politics. It's kind of her thing. Uh, campaign managing is how you know, her experience in managing political campaigns sort of primed her uh, for the the role that she sort of fell into as my producer. So she loves to call me out for the fact that I talk about politics all the time while claiming to hate politics, which admittedly is kind of a conundrum. Um, when I say that I hate politics, what I mean is I hate the state of politics now. Um, 
and the changes that I've seen over the course of my lifetime. Now, obviously, to a certain extent, it's always been the way that it is now. You know, I recently watched the CNN uh, documentary series on the 60s and the 70s, and I was kind of surprised, especially in the early 70s, um, at how similar some of the aspects of politics were to how they are now. But um, so when I say that I hate politics, it's not that I hate the political process or or that I hate the back and forth between different uh, opinions and beliefs and those kind of things. What I mean is I hate the state of our political um, situation, especially at the government, especially at the federal level in America today where it, it's just it's all or nothing from both sides there's no compromise there's no discussion there's no you know i mean the gop is you know the party of no basically and who's to say if the democrats ever take over control of Congress, whether they're not just going to follow that trend. You know, that's the kind of thing that that really bugs me. And the fact that we can't have, we have to spend so much of our time talking about why my side is right and your side is wrong and it's all or nothing and there's no there's no way to ever reach an agreement when both parties come at it from such uh, fortified stances where they you know it it's like you either sign on one hundred percent to what I say and what I believe or fuck you, we're not even gonna have this discussion um. It seems on the surface that the Republicans are more that way, but I'm pretty sure the Democrats are pulling the same shit, you know, if we're honest. Uh, for the record, for the time being, I don't register with either of the major parties simply because I don't want either of them to think that they can count on my vote. That said, I've mostly voted Democrat uh, in my life. I have sprinkled a few local Republicans and state Republicans here and there um, during my voting career. But for the most part, um, mostly because I can't stand faith-based um, politics and, um, and mixing religion with politics and, and that kind of thing. Um, so even though I don't always 100% agree... Uh, with the people I vote for, they're closer to my belief set than the other side. That's how I t typically tend to do it. So I'm going to start out with something 
from the first season of the show, The Newsroom, on HBO. The Newsroom first hit the air on HBO in, I believe, 2012. It's written by Aaron Sorkin, uh, created by Aaron Sorkin as well. I will make no bones about it. I love Aaron Sorkin's writing. I think his dialogue is genius. For those who aren't familiar with Mr. Sorkin by name, I'll give you a few uh, highlights of projects that he's been involved with, mostly as a writer, but he's also a producer. He's shown up as an actor in a few things, mostly stuff that he's written. Um, but just, just to, you know, just for a few, you know, just, just to give you an idea, if you're not familiar with the name, Sorkin wrote A Few Good Men, the Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise movie. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for the 2015 biopic, Steve Jobs, uh, the Brad Pitt movie, Moneyball. The Facebook uh, biopic, The Social Network. Uh, let's see, what else? The West Wing, 155-episode show that ran from 1999 to 2006. Uh, Sports Night, which probably is when I first really noticed his name. I think that started in like the late 90s, 98, or something like that. So, I mean, this this is a guy whose name isn't super well-known, although everybody knows his work. And uh, so this show, The Newsroom, showed up on HBO four years ago. And it's such a great idea because what they did is they created this fictional cable news show. And I'll try not to get too bogged down in details here. But uh, it's a fictional cable news network and a cable news, evening news broadcast that what they did in the show is they went back in time... I don't remember how many years, but what they do in this show is they they relive actual news stories, actual events that happened and how those would have been covered by an honest, forthright, journalistically uh, motivated news team rather than people that were just going after ratings, which is what we deal with now. We don't get actual news. So not only is the concept of the show amazing, but being written by Sorkin, it's fantastic. First scene of the first episode is the main character, Will McAvoy, played by Jeff Daniels, who we don't know yet, at this point, it's the first time we've ever seen him, first scene, first episode. Um, and he's on stage in a college auditorium 
doing a panel Q&A where there's a moderator, there's one person on one side of him who is a liberal, there's another person on the other side of him who's a conservative. Uh, they're all, I assume, I'm not sure it's actually said, uh, they're all journalists, TV journalists, I believe. And a young woman gets up in the audience and asks, can you say, the question is for everybody on the panel, can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? And what I'm going to do, partially because I'm not sure how licensing on this works, partially because it would take entirely too long for me to pull the audio, edit the audio, and all of that mix it in to this recording and partially because I have a massive ego and I used to be pretty good at cold reading so we'll find out if I still am or not I'm going to read to you um, this bit from the beginning of the first episode but first I have to set it up so this girl asks can you say why America is the greatest country in the world the first person to answer is a woman named Sharon and she's the liberal. And her answer is diversity and opportunity. The moderator turns to the conservative, whose name is Lewis. And Lewis says, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Then the moderator turns to Will McAvoy, our main character. And McAvoy says, the New York Jets. The moderator says, no, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? McAvoy responds, well, Lewis and Sharon said it, diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. The moderator, I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. McAvoy, well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me the single greatest piece of American writing. He's stalling. The moderator's not having it. He just keeps staring at McAvoy. McAvoy says, you don't look satisfied. The moderator says, one's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is America... And this is when McAvoy steps in. And this is when I start reading. It's not the greatest country in the world. That's my answer. Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of our paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So, 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. And yeah, you, sorority girl. 
just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. One of them is, there's absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe, in, who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst, period, generation, period, ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? It sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reason. We passed laws, struck down laws, for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not on poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our monies where money where our mouths were and never beat our chest. We built great, big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I think that really says a lot. I know it pisses a lot of people off, uh, but it's the truth. And there's a lot of people, especially on the right, that would find that insulting and yada, yada, yada. But it's the truth. And all you need to do besides, you know, I mean, those statistics, who knows how accurate they were when he wrote them. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that they were accurate when they were written. Uh, were they updated by the time they taped the episode? And here it is four years later. They may be different. I suspect if they are different, we're probably lower on all of those. And that's why this bullshit... Uh, slogan of Trump's make America great again is equal parts laughable and I understand why so many people are responding to it 
um, I understand a lot of the emotional response that has gotten Trump to be the supposed nominee, which is fucking shocking. Let's be honest. Um, I understand that people are frustrated and pissed off, especially people on the right. Um, well, no, especially everybody, actually. Um, but I know people that support Trump. Uh, you know, I, I, they're on my Facebook. They're people that I actually know. And, and they're, you know, they'll post a clip, the, the same clips that I post where I'm saying, can you believe this fucker is getting away with this shit? They're posting the same thing and going, goddamn right, motherfucker. Yeah, this is the shit we need. And what I am waiting for, honestly, the ultimate payoff for this entire thing. And considering who Trump is, it wouldn't really surprise me all that much. It would be so awesome if after the Republican convention, when they, if they do, uh, confirm him as the nominee, if he were to hold a press conference and go, wow, you people are fucking idiots. Do you think I'm actually, this was all a joke. I just wanted to see how much I could get away with. Because that would be the ultimate punk for one thing. But it would also give so much insight into how politics work in this country now. You know, it, his rhetoric, the shit that he says, he has nothing to back anything up. He just says, you know, go build a wall. It's going to be huge. And Mexico's going to pay for it. And his mouth breather supporters go, Goddamn right, it's about fucking time, Don. Thank God you came along. Like, you know, and within weeks of him making that statement, Mexico said, we're not paying for any fucking wall. You know, it's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I'm not even going to go into all the jokes that everybody else has gone into of who's going to build the wall, you know. But he just says shit, and he says the shit that people want to say themselves, but they can't, and for some reason he gets away with it. There's also this, there's also this thing... Where because he has lots of money, um, people think he's not bought and paid for. Why do they think that? Because he says it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm dying to see if he were to get elected, who his cabinet would be. Like he hasn't he hasn't discussed any of that kind of thing. He ha you know, the guy knows nothing about foreign policy. He knows nothing about domestic policy. He knows how to file bankruptcy, you know, and make fake products and put his name on shit that he doesn't own. It's fucking crazy. Um, but then, you know, I mean, considering the field that's left, then you've got Hillary Clinton, who she's just more of the same, right? I mean... 
she's just another, you know, I mean, I loved Bill Clinton as president. I still like him. I think the whole, you know, I don't know. I just like him. I like the fact that, I don't know. Maybe it's because he was the first presidential candidate I voted for and he won. Maybe it goes, maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's because he played, uh, the saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show wearing Ray-Ban Wayfarers. Maybe it's as simple as that. Um, but I can say that things definitely changed in that election cycle when somebody on MTV asked a presidential candidate whether he wears boxers or briefs. And nobody went, what the fuck? Did you really just ask that question? That's when things started changing. Um... You know, so, I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of people hate Hillary. A lot of people love Hillary. I'm kind of lukewarm on her, to be honest. Uh, if I had my druthers right now, from a pure rhetoric standpoint and from a pure um, behavioral history standpoint, I want Bernie Sanders. Um, but that isn't to say that I think he should be our president. I'm choosing from the people I think that I'm going to have the option to vote for when the time comes. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to, I, I'm registered as an independent, and our California primary, Democratic primary, is coming up very soon. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think during the last congressional election or whatever, they changed. We used to have a closed Democratic primary, um, and it was supposedly open, but it's actually um, kind of sort of open, <laughs> which is such bullshit. It All primaries, here's my opinion, all primaries in this country, presidential especially, should be open. You just only get to vote in one. You know, regardless of what your party affiliation is, how you're registered, whatever, if you want to make your voice heard in the primaries, you should be able to do so, but you should only be able to vote in one. If you want to vote in the Democratic primary, fine. If you want to vote in the Republican primary, you want to vote in the Green Party primary, Libertarian primary, whatever, regardless of what your party affiliation is, you get one primary vote. It seems pretty fucking simple to me, and yet... They just want to make it more and more difficult. So turns out I'm probably going to be out of the state on primary day. Um, so not only do I need to. Oh, yeah. And because of the way they changed the primary election, um, you have to be either registered in California as a Democrat or as no party affiliation um, to vote in the Democratic primary. So you can't vote. If you're if you're a libertarian, if you're an independent, if you're a Republican, anything other, you either have to be Democrat or no party affiliation. Um, so the first thing I needed to do, uh, and still do, which time's running out, so we'll see if I actually pull it off. Uh, first thing I needed to do was change my affiliation to no affiliation to be able to vote in the primary because I want to vote for Sanders. Second thing I needed to do once I found out that I'm going to be out of town for the primary is I need to 
register as an absentee so that I can vote via the mail um, since I'm not going to be in town for the primary. Uh, went to the California Attorney General's website um, to do so. Put in my address, my phone number, filled out all the fields, and they told me that my phone number doesn't match my address, so I can't change my registration. Okay, had the same phone number, same mailing address since I've been re-registered to vote since moving back to California four years ago. So, is it a is it a website glitch? Is it something very simple? Did I mess up in the form? All of these are possible. Um, but all I know is it really pissed me off, and I've been hearing lots of screams and yells from the left that uh, voter suppression is only happening on the right. Well, I don't know. Everybody I talked to told me it was super easy to change this stuff online. Tried to do it, and they found a bullshit. I mean, what? who the fuck cares whether my phone number matches? <laughs> you know? So, we'll see. I was so frustrated that I just, you know, signed off and was like, fuck it, I'll vote for whoever ends up in the general. But now I'm back to going, oh, I got to get this done, you know? So... As I said at the beginning of this, I'm less talking about politics. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about politics, obviously, but my greater, my, my real frustration is the way politics works now. It's all controlled by the lobbies and the money. You know, the Koch brothers and Big Pharma and the NRA and the gun lobby and um, there are lobbies, there are hugely powerful lobbies that I support and there are hugely powerful lobbies that I don't. And in both cases, I don't think they should have the power that they do. It's asinine to me that really I mean for all intents and purposes our Congress is bought and paid for by lobbyists and I'll have some I'm going to have some elected officials on this show um, and that may come up and we'll see what they what their opinion is on that maybe they'll be able to school me on it but that's the way i see it you know i i i feel as though elections are bought and paid for especially on the federal level um for the most part at this point especially the higher offices um i think it's absolutely ridiculous and the founding fathers would be spinning in their graves if they knew that the GOP said doesn't matter who Obama appoints to the Supreme Court we're gonna say no um, 
that that kind of behavior sickens me and it, it just all it does is erode what little trust we the American people have left in our politicians when they behave that way but what they're getting so good at on both sides is the emotional manipulation of us the people we the people I'll give you an example of the type of thing that I run across in my daily life when it comes to people's political perspectives and the things that they espouse that drive me fucking batshit crazy. I am... One of the one of the biggest, most important aspects of the concept of America and the reason that this country even exists is rights. Human rights, civil rights, religious rights, freedoms, right? The people that founded this country were escaping religious prosecution and unfair taxation and all of these kind of things. And they didn't fuck around when they wrote our founding documents. And yet, here we are all these years later with people trying, because of their opinion, their personal opinion trying to say oh well yeah they meant all of that stuff when they wrote the constitution and the bill of rights but this one thing that i disagree with yeah they didn't mean that it sounds like they did but they really didn't so um you know whether this is uh religious persecution of muslims whether this is banning of specific types of firearms, uh, all the way to our most recent debacle, um, the outlash over the transgendered bathrooms, right? Um, I recently, over the last two or three days, had a Facebook discussion with a friend of mine who he and I disagree politically on virtually every topic um and yet somehow over the course of our friendship which has mostly been on facebook to be honest we we do know each other personally but most of our interactions have been online um somehow especially because both of us can get very vehement um Somehow we've managed to uh, achieve a level of civility even while disagreeing, uh, which is valuable. And um, although he frustrates me deeply at times, and I'm sure the same is true for him, um, it's a valuable... Uh, 
um, exercise to have these kind of discussions if you can do so without it devolving into personal attacks and things like that, which I'm just as guilty of as anybody else, as anybody that's been on my Facebook knows. Um, but I posted a thing a couple of days ago, and well, in before I before I get to that, let me preface it by saying, when I talk about rights, I'm talking about everybody's rights. Um, one of the things that frustrates me about people on every side uh, of the political spectrum is when anybody wants to take away someone else's constitutional right. Whether that constitutional, whether that right is specifically mentioned in the original document, it's spirit of the law over letter of the law, you know, just like, you know, a speeding ticket or rolling a stop sign or, you know, there's certain times when, okay, maybe that wasn't exactly letter of the law. Maybe I, maybe I didn't signal exactly 500 feet before the intersection, but should I really get a ticket since it was only 450 feet? You know, I did signal. I signaled well ahead of time. If I get a ticket for that, that's bullshit. That is, as Adam Carolla says, a chicken shit ticket, and that should be fought in court. Uh, if you just flat out don't signal at all, potentially cause a dangerous situation, then yeah, pull me over, pull that person over and give them a ticket. So spirit of the law versus letter of the law. And, and I think all of us have enough common sense, at least the vast majority of us do, to understand what the framers had in mind when they talked about all men being created equal and um, and then the specific rights in the Bill of Rights. And um, so this friend of mine, along with me, is a supporter of the Second Amendment. That'll probably be a topic for another podcast. But it's one of the few things that we do agree on. Now he and I come at it from different perspectives um but we do both support second amendment rights um both of us have been involved in shooting sports both of us have owned guns um and just as a side note one of the things i've noticed with most of the people who advocate uh severe gun control and gun bans is that most of them have never owned a gun never fired a gun know nothing about guns uh, etc. So, likewise, when it came to this transgendered bathroom debate, uh, my friend has little to no experience, I'm guessing, with the transgendered community. Talk much, Kev? Um, and I came across a video by now. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Uh, if I can figure out how this new Podbean website works, maybe I'll uh, post a link to the video. But it's a woman in North Carolina, um, you know, a super evangelical Christian woman 
parading herself and her gaggle of children through a Target store with her Bible held aloft, uh, screaming and yelling about um, how trans transgendered bathrooms are, you know, uh, against the Bible or, you know, fucking something. Uh, I don't think that's true, first of all, um, but that's, again, another show. Um, but we also have, hello, separation of church and state. Your, what your holy book says doesn't uh, decide how we make our laws, how we legislate our populace. Sorry to break it to you, uh, because the moment that we do that, um, and this is the thing that people, especially the uh, evangelicals, Christians, don't seem to understand, is the moment that we let you influence legislation, then we have to let Muslims influence it, Buddhists, Jews, uh, everybody. Every, every form of religion then gets their say. And that's exactly what the founders of this country did not want. So please fucking stop. It's such a waste of time. Um, so anyway, this, there's this, you know, woman shouting and carrying on through Target. And I posted it on my Facebook and said something to the effect of, you know, this makes me wish that Jesus were real uh, because then he could actually come back and set this woman in her place and, and, and point out that you are absolutely not spreading my message. <laughs> you know, it cracks me up that me, Kevin, as an atheist, lives a more Christ-like uh, existence than so many people who claim to be Christians. It just cracks me up. So I posted that, and I, you know, made some snarky comment on it. And uh, so my buddy um, comes back and says something about, uh, I I'm not going to pull up, uh, maybe I should pull up the actual Facebook page. Hang on a second. Let me see. Okay, yeah. So, so his first, uh, <laughs> now remember, this is about, this is about transgendered uh, bathrooms, right? Um, and his first comment to me is, the Bible states for a man to lie with a man is an abomination, just saying. That being said, some take things to an extreme. So, yes, he wasn't agreeing with this woman's behavior, but he also was talking about homosexuality instead of transgender um and the conversation went on another friend of mine jumped in um we sort of tag teamed him a bit um he got frustrated and here's here's the thing is what he was claiming is that allowing transgendered people to use... I hope this isn't making too much noise, but my mic stand's messing with me again. Sorry, I'm almost done messing with it. Um, his perspective is that allowing transgendered people to use the bathroom of the gender that they identify with 
rather than the gender that they were born with only opens the door to pedophiles and other sexual deviants. Uh, for example, a, a, a fully biological man who does not identify as a woman just throwing a dress on and walking into the woman's room to take pictures of young girls and and or uh, physically or sexually assault them. Uh, he followed this up with links to news stories of degenerate fuckwads that had done exactly that. Which kind of disproves his point, in my opinion. Because if people are already doing that, legislation that allows transgendered people to use whichever bathroom they choose doesn't factor in. Um, also, the suggestion that... You know, I mean, I, I don't want to go through the whole the whole conversation because it would just it would take forever um but i'm also trying to be even-handed and fair and not um not just drag him over the coals because i understand where his uh what his argument was i just 100 percent disagree with it and um So let's let's be clear as as far as I understand this legislation that has passed in in some states hopefully will pass in all states soon and was recently fought uh by the state of North Carolina to the point where the US Justice Department sued them um let's get let, let's try and talk about that uh at least as it as it relates to how I understand these laws to work, and then we'll we'll get a little bit more into um, the conversation that I have with my friend. Okay. All right. I don't. I hope I don't need to define what transgender means to everybody um, and sort of the umbrella definition of transgender I don't think is what we're all referring to when we talk about these bathroom laws you know obviously the umbrella definition is just somebody who doesn't identify with the gender uh, that's on their birth certificate right a uh, biological male who identifies as female or vice versa. Um, which I can only imagine must be a torturous existence, um, especially in previous generations. And let's be clear, this is not a new phenomenon. Okay, folks? This has been going on as long as human beings have been around. It's just that finally... Uh, we as a species and we as some countries are starting to recognize that it is a real thing and 
it needs to be recognized and we need to be sensitive to it and we need to understand it and not uh, vilify it as weird or wrong or an aberration or something. Um, so when it relates directly to these bathroom laws, as I understand it, it's, you know, I mean, let's, let's use a little bit of common sense here, okay? A biological man who is living his life as a man, uh, dresses as a man, has a beard, has, you know, all of these kind of things. Um, even if that person inside themselves uh, identifies as female... I don't see that person going into a woman's room, a woman's bathroom at the mall or at the Target or at the movie theater. Um, so let's, you know, that's somebody that's still living uh, what, I mean, to use the, the time-honored term for homosexuality, that person is still in the closet, right? Um but for someone who is was born biologically male, maybe has not had the full uh, sexual reassignment surgery, but is living their life as a woman, and by all outward appearances is a woman, even if not the most feminine-looking woman in the world necessarily, um, but for that, person to be expected to go into the men's room um, risking potential physical harm I don't think that's such a great idea and uh, vice versa a biological woman who is still living their life as a woman I don't think is going to go in uh, but who is transgender I don't think that person is going to go into the men's room at a football game. I just don't see it happening. Um, so let's let's expunge ourselves of those assumptions of, of that idea, which then lead you know, which then you know, this is this is about. These laws, as I understand them, are, you know, you should go, if you have Amazon, especially if you have Amazon Prime, because if you do, you can watch it for free. Uh, it, if you haven't heard of this show, I'll be shocked because it won a shit ton of awards last year. But uh, Amazon did an original series called Transparent, where Jeffrey Tambor plays a man, a uh, transgendered man, who... Um, finally uh, admits to his transgendered status uh, in his, you know, what, 60s or 70s with grown children and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And there's a scene where um, after he's begun living his life as a woman, he goes into a public restroom with his daughters and... Uh, there's a mother in there who can tell that he's not biologically female and loses her shit. And it's a really emotional, awful 
bigoted. Uh, It's no different than, um, than if it was racism. It's the exact same behavior and it's awful uh, and it's emotional and it's hurtful. And, um, I, I, I support legislation that keeps that behavior from being possible. The idea that such a person um, could be charged criminally um, for just trying to use the restroom uh, or wash their hands or touch up their makeup or hair or whatever... Um, because somebody with some puritanical ideal uh, or fear um, decides to make a big stink out of it. So that's the way I see this legislation as being enacted, whereas uh, this friend of mine just sees it as opening the door for pedophiles and other sexual deviants to be able to throw on a dress and go into a woman's room and either molest or photograph or whatever young girls. Um, how how that in reality would play out, you know, somebody who is transgendered is going to have, you know, a doctor. They're going to have doc. There's going to be a history of this. Um, it's not going to be some dude with a five o'clock shadow in a dress that they got from Goodwill um, who's just a deviant, evil, disgusting piece of shit who should be murdered and buried under the jail, as Bill Burr would say. Um, let's not equate those two things together when discussing legislation like this. And we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And... I finally pointed out to him, and this brings me full circle back to how politically what I look at first and foremost most of the time are rights and what the intentions of the founders of this country were. And since I know that he is an advocate for the Second Amendment and rights of gun owners, I pointed out to him that he was making the exact same flawed argument that so many of the gun control advocates make, which is, let's use the AR-15 as an example, which is the example that I gave to him. And I said, I'm going, I am going to read this quote from my, I'll actually read uh, to you, the thing that he said that made me respond, and then I'll read my response. Um, I pointed out that these scumbags are already going into bathrooms and doing this, and he said that, uh, he said, Kevin, you are making my point for me. It is already happening. You're just going to give them easier access. Um. Which I res- to which I responded, the funniest part of this discussion is that you're using the same flawed logic that is behind the gun control argument, but you don't seem to recognize it. Quote, 
AR-15 should be banned because they make it easier for sick, evil people to do sick, evil things. Therefore, the rights of the vast majority of law-abiding citizens should be infringed. Unquote. I made that quote up, but I put it in quotes. And then I said, sound familiar? And to his credit, after all of this back and forth that we have had, his response was simply, touche. So he still doesn't agree, but he underst- but he does admit, hmm, okay, my argument is flawed. My, I'm, you know, so maybe that'll make him think. Maybe that'll help him come to terms with this. And if not, maybe it'll make him come up with a better argument. And that's, that's the power of discussion and debate and conversation and remaining civil when at all possible. It's not easy all the time. But, you know, we went through that whole conversation where, you know, he felt kind of ganged up on at one point where he wanted to give up because, um, you know, people who, uh, you know, obviously most of the people that are friends with me on Facebook, just as things happen, tend to agree with me. And, um, you know, I had a couple of people, uh, actually in this one, just one. Um, and to his credit, he, he knows that he's coming into the hornet's nest anytime he does this kind of stuff on my Facebook. Um, and he's not scared. And, um, maybe I'll have him on the podcast one of these days. Um, but since he hasn't been, hasn't agreed to be on it, that's why I'm not mentioning him by name so far. Um, so he still, you know, he still maintained the conversation, at least with me, up until the point where at least I made a point that he couldn't, you know, he had to, he had to recognize his own hypocrisy. Um, did I change his mind? I doubt it. I don't think so. Um, but he at least recognized that the place that he was coming from was tenuous at best, which is all I could really ask for. Um, and it made him think. And to be honest with you, his his argument made me think too. Um, not about uh, whether I think the legislation is a good idea, but about, oh, this is how people see this. Oh, okay, that's why they're fight They actually, you know, I mean, it's kind of puritanical and, and whatnot, but okay, that's why, okay, uh, you know, so um, I guess, the, you know, what I would encourage anyone listening who gets into a conversation like this regarding, you know, regardless of what the subject is or which side you're on, um, is to try and, and put forth your point of view and make your argument in such a way that it's not attacking the other person. Um, you can disagree without attacking, without getting personal. Um, because the more that you can do that, the more likely it is that you're going to keep the lines of communication open and maybe you both might learn something and maybe there's a compromise that can be had. Um, I hate the term agree to disagree uh, because I think it's bullshit, but 
um, compromise is possible and is necessary in politics. And maybe if we the people could learn how to compromise amongst ourselves, we would then encourage and expect our politicians to do the same while representing us in Washington and in other capacities, state and local. Um, it all starts with us, folks. Let's try talking to each other and listening to each other. What do you think? All right, well, that's it for toe dip number three. Um, still working on the official launch, first episode um, of The Life of Riley. Hope you're enjoying these warm-up episodes. I'm having a great time doing them, getting used to being the only person on the mic much of the time. Um, I'm not going to announce anything yet, although uh, several really exciting episodes, guest episodes, um, have been at least verbally confirmed. Um uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to string you along. I promise. I just don't want to. I, I don't want to promise something that I can't deliver. So the moment that I find that this first, uh, the first official episode is going to kick off and actually happen the way I want it to, you guys will be the first to know. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to hit me up on Twitter with questions or comments, and also comment. Um, you know, there is a comment link under each episode on uh, the Podbean page. I also have um, applied to have The Life of Riley be on YouTube. I'm waiting for their response. Um, I do think that I accidentally clicked um, non-explicit language, though, so they might listen and go, oh, you say fuck sometimes. So uh, that might... I don't know. I know it takes a few days and it's only been a couple of days. So uh, hopefully we will be on um, uh, on iTunes soon, which will make it easier to listen and all of that. Here's another thing real quick, or I'll try and make it quick anyway. There's a uh, you can download the app. You can from the Podbean uh, from my Podbean website. There are links to be able to listen uh, via iPhone and Android. Uh, it's down in the bottom right, I think, right underneath my Amazon banner, by the way, which please utilize that. Um, but there's also, uh, for mobile, at least I know for sure on um, iPhones, and I'm pretty sure on Androids, there's a there's an, a mobile app. There's a, there's a Podbean app where you can listen to not only The Life of Riley, but any other Podbean uh, podcast, and they have lots of the big name podcasts that you'll find on other networks as well. So you could conceivably use Podbean as your main podcast source. What I've seen so far, though, uh, with the Podbean app is I think it's hopefully it's because my podcast is so new, doesn't have a lot of downloads, doesn't have a lot of subscribers yet. Um, if you search for the life of Riley, on the Podbean app, it won't come up. 
But if you go to the search function, you know, download and install the Podbean app on your phone. Go to the search function in the Podbean app. And then up in the upper right, I believe, corner, there is a, uh, a an option that you can tap on that says add URL. If you tap on that and type in uh, lifeofriley.podbean.com, that will add my feed to the app, and then you sub- can subscribe via the mobile app, um, and it will automatic, I believe, automatically download anything new that I post. And so if you're somebody like me who does most of his, um, uh, I get most of my pod- podcasts via my phone because I listen to them at work all day, uh, it's a much easier way to do it rather than having to check email or go back to the website or anything like that. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please type them into the comments under uh, the uh, episode that you're commenting about on the website or hit me up on Twitter at underscore Kevin Riley. I also now have a Facebook page for the podcast which what is the URL for it? Let's check real quick. It's just facebook.com slash life of Riley podcast. Um, you can go there, find updates, make comments, follow the page, like the page, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Okie dokie. Uh, thank you so very much for listening. I love you all. Stay tuned for the first official episode. Bye-bye now.